Real stories, reliable information, the latest technology and news. Welcome to the Plastic Surgery Hub podcast, connecting people with practitioners. Well, good morning, podcast world, um, or afternoon, or evening, or wherever, whatever time it is where you're at. Um, it's Trish here from Plastic Surgery Hub, here again with Dr. Jo- Jason Oates today. And we're going to be talking about rhinoplasty. We've been getting quite a bit of inquiry through um, lately about rhinoplasty and, you know, who's the right person to go to and when you would choose a either a plastic surgeon or an ENT or why you choose one over the other. And I thought I just wanted to kind of clear up um, that, that it's, it's... Anyway, I just want to speak to one of um, our ENT surgeons, um, who, which is Dr. Jason Oates from Face. Face Academy in Subiaco and also in Crow's Nest. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Oates. Hi, Trish. Good to see you again. So thanks so much for joining us today. So can you um, just just explain to us, like the, the um, like I know I've, I've already asked you the question anyway, but when would some, I had a client come in this week um, or online actually and she wanted to have a septoplasty and she said to me, oh, um, I need to have a septoplasty. Um, I need to make an appointment with an ENT and a plastic and, and a plastic surgeon. And why do I have to have an appointment with both? And I was like, well, actually, I can't answer that question. So I thought, well, perfect. I'll ask you. So, so can you explain to us a little bit the way it works? Like when you, sure. yeah, when you'd go oh, to whom? So or? I guess start off explaining that the septum is the dividing cartilage and towards the back bone that separates the, the inside of the nose into a, to a left and a right half. And it's meant to run straight down the, the middle of your nose. And so it gives you a left and a right nostril. And if that gets bent, um, and that can be just where it grows naturally from birth or from an injury or something like that, um, then you've got a deviated septum, and that can cause uh, a functional problem. So uh, the way it mostly presents is difficulty breathing, um, and sometimes it's snoring or sinus problems. Uh, or it can uh, also show externally as well. If it's bent enough, it'll bend the, um, the lower half of the, of the nose as well. Um, and uh, so a septoplasty is the operation to straighten the septum uh, and it's a, it's a functional procedure it's one of the um the first procedures that, uh, as an ent registrar in, in training that um that you learn probably after doing tonsils mm-hmm. um so if somebody's wanting just a straight septoplasty um for say breathing problems then generally they'll probably just go to an ent surgeon and ent surgeons probably do the vast majority of just septoplasties if it's a bit more complicated and they're needing a septorhinoplasty, so combining straightening of the septum plus um, something external as well, uh, then there are those uh, ENT surgeons who uh, have a, an interest in, and specialise in, in rhinoplasty, uh, and so they'll do a septorhinoplasty. And I have a number of ENT surgeons here in Perth who refer to me all of their septorhinoplasties. Um, because they don't do the, the rhinoplasty side of it. Um, it used to be a common thing that uh, a plastic surgeon and ENT surgeon might work together. So the ENT surgeon would do the internal bit, straighten the septum, maybe harvest cartilage for grafts and that sort of thing, 
and then a plastic surgeon would do the the external part. Um, most um, plastic surgeons now who really have a focus on uh, rhinoplasty will do their own septoplasties um, now. So I, I think that um, that uh, collaboration of, of having the two surgeons at the same time, which is really difficult to organise, um, it's it's always a uh, it's always a pain trying to organise that. Oh, I, I think imagine. Sort of, that, yeah, that's hard enough way. getting one, let alone two at the same time. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. And, you know, who, whose list is it going to be on and, you know, who's going to, to where and, um, yeah, that's always uh, difficult. So that, that's becoming um, a much less common sort of uh, thing and maybe some of the, the older uh, plastics and older ENTs still do that. But, um, but most people who, who, who really focus on uh, rhinoplasty do the entire procedure themselves now. Got it, got it. So basically, um, if you go to a surgeon, ju just make sure that they're a surgeon that does a lot of them and they either do both if, if you want both or, or go to the right surgeon to get what you, what you specifically want to get done. Yeah, and it's, okay. I guess it's always hard for the um, patient to, to know, um, especially when you've already paid to go there and, and, and see the, the, the surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, and for them to then say, well, actually, I don't, I don't do this operation very much. Um, uh, but for, for people sort of like myself who um, specialise in, in certain procedures, even though it might be quite a few procedures, um, you, you can't really do everything. You can't do everything well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I feel terrible when somebody's in here and they're asking about a procedure that I don't do. I say, well... I guess I could do it, but I really don't um, specialise in this area. And I think you'd be better off going and seeing someone else and I'll give you a referral. Um, but especially if they've had to sit in the waiting room for half an hour while I'm uh, running late. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's a much better thing to do than to take on cases that you, um, that you don't really have um, the same level of skills that you've got in other areas. That's so true. I'm a great believer that um, I, mean, I understand how... Um, a lot of um, surgeons are good all-rounders, but I always think there's usually that one procedure that you just kind of excel in, and and, um, and that kind of you know propels you to be to be you know really great at that particular you know one or two things. But I, I love the fact that if 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 there's a procedure that they come to you, and although you can do it, you decide not to because I not one well, number one either you don't do many of them, or number two you're not that confident in them, or number three you know someone else is going to do a better job. Yeah, that's the, the thing. Yeah. And even ethically, it's hard to sort of um, take on something when you think that there's somebody who can do a better job than you. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And so do you consult for surgery in uh, only in um, Perth, oh, sorry, in Subiaco, or do you also consult for surgery in Crow's Nest? So I, I'm only operating out of um, Perth and Western Australia. We have... Um, I just got a, a, a new doctor starting consulting out of the uh, crow's nest office so that we can offer uh, more surgical procedures there as well because the practice was just developing to the stage, um, getting busier and busier, that we had that clientele who, who wanted to take things further than um, uh, than just having injectables and threads. And, uh, yeah, so that's been great to be able to add that to the um, 
the crow's nest office as well. Oh, fantastic. And just going back to the rhinoplasty, so if someone was to have, um, a, say, a septo rhino with you, is that like a long procedure? Like it, does it take a long time? Do you have to stay in overnight? And can you tell us a little bit about the, the, like, the prep and the recovery? Sure, sure. So um, there's a lot of variation um, between simpler and, and more complicated um, septorhinoplasties and one of the things is once you've been doing something for a long time and uh, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now, you start getting referred the, the difficult ones. Um, I thought it would be nice to, as I, as I get further in my career for people to start referring me the easy ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, if it was like just a straight septoplasty, you know, half an hour and um, uh, it usually is done under a, a general anaesthetic and people stay in overnight, but they can go home the same day. Mm -hmm. um, I do do septoplasties under twilight sedation. So I've mentioned before we've got a, um, uh, an accredited twilight sedation facility here. And um, just with, with septoplasties, you need to get it numb all the way to the back, and, it, and the septum goes about eight centimeters back into the nose. And if they've got a really sharp bend in the septum, it can be hard to get the local anaesthetic to go behind the bend. So, um, for more difficult septoplasties, I'm most likely to be doing it under uh, a general anaesthetic. So, when you're doing a septorhinoplasty, it might just be um, taking off, off the hump and then cracking the bones and squeezing them together. And, you know, maybe the, the whole procedure is, is done in, in an hour. Um, but with a, a lot of humps, you need to put in what we call spreader grafts. And, that, and that's using the cartilage from the hump or from the septum to prevent the nose from becoming too pinched in and, and thin in the middle. And then that can happen really gradually over a period of, of years. And so that is a lot more fiddly and takes a bit more time. And you're now out to an hour and a half. And, if you now want to refine the tip a little bit, and that might be sculpting a, a, a small amount of cartilage off and placing sutures into the tip, um, and now you're getting out to, to two hours, and I get a lot of people with complex breathing problems, so um, when they sniff in, the side walls um, of the nose collapse, uh, and so in that case, I'll be taking cartilage out of the septum and then grafting it into the sidewall of the nose to give it strength so it doesn't collapse in so easily. Um, and so, yeah, now you could be looking at a, a two-and-a-half-hour procedure and often explain it to people saying, well, if you're having you know, a total hip replacement, they'll do that in 45 minutes, but you know this is going to take you know, two-and-a-half hours. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it, it can be quite a long procedure. Okay. And with the um, recovery, like I've just found a, a lot of people are really frightened as to what's going to happen afterwards because it's right there, it's in your face, it's your breathing, it's... it's. Um, um, can you tell us a little bit about, like, yeah, like so, you, so you wake up from your anaesthetic? You may you or may like... not have packing in your nose. Okay. For the majority of my... Uh, cosmetic rhinoplasties, and especially if I do it under twilight sedation, then uh, generally they won't have any packing in the nose at all. Um, if you've had um, what we call osteotomies, where the bone's been cracked, then you'll have a, uh, a stuck-on metal splint on the nose. Uh, and you might be starting to get a little bit of swelling around the eyes and black eyes. 
but I still do about 50% of my rhinoplasties under twilight sedation. Uh, and people will stay uh, in our recovery here for two or three hours afterwards. Somebody will come and pick them up and, and they'll go home the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 50% I'll do under general anesthetic. Maybe I'll um, do more work with the turbinates. So the turbinate is a ridge of tissue that runs along the side of the nose. There's actually three levels of them, and often it's the lower one that perhaps is a bit swollen uh, and blocking up the, the airway. So I, I trim that back, and the reason it, it um, can swell up a lot and it also shrinks down, say, when using a nasal spray, it's got uh, a lot of blood vessels that can dilate and constrict. Uh so sometimes that can be a bit uh, uh, drippy, uh, and so in that first night in a hospital, uh, it may uh, have a little bit of uh, blood dripping, and they've got a pack in there. It's a bit gooey, uh, and then in the morning the pack slides out. Um, I use a very soft um, sort of pack. It's, it's made out of seaweed, I guess, but it's like cotton wool, and it goes into the nose about six centimeters on each side. It just slides out. Uh, so yeah, they're in overnight, they go home the next day. I provide a couple of nasal sprays. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one's a, a little decongestant nasal spray and that just helps open the nose up a little bit because, uh, it's not particularly painful for the majority of patients. Um, I guess, you know, maybe one in five come back and say, oh, look, you know, that was really uncomfortable. Um, but most people come back and say, oh, that was nowhere near as bad as what I thought it was going to be. You know, you, you said that you are going to use this chisel and break the bones and you cut the top off my nose with the hump and um, you know, I had a, a cut through the, the, the middle part of my nose and you lifted all the skin up and then didn't hurt. You know, they're really surprised. Yeah. It's funny because I've actually had um, a rhinoplasty done about 20 years ago and um, I was exactly the same. Like I was like, you know, like, oh, my God, he's going to chisel this and chisel that. And I was surprised at how when I came out, the only thing is I did develop black eyes over the over the week after coming out. Um, and um, But I was actually surprised that I didn't feel a whole lot worse. The, the only thing that was scary was when, because I had a little baby at the time, and when he bumped me or whatever, I thought I was going to die every time he bumped my nose for about the first year. It was just so sensitive for anyone to to touch. Um, but what I was going to ask you, so, so is this, I presume this is the case with every nose job. I remember at one point um, at the end, I think, because is it true that the blood clot or whatever has to come out of, like, the nose? Does that happen with everyone or is that... No, not necessarily, although um, um, there are incisions made in there and they can drip a little bit. And if you've had, as I said, work on the turbinates, they can definitely drip. Uh, And there's so many convolutions and turns and nooks and crannies in there, but, yeah, the blood can uh, congeal and then dry and crust in there. Mm -hmm. So the second thing that we give them is a, a bottle of nasal spray and tell them to wash their nose out, you know, and I, I don't care if they do it 20 times a day, um, and tell them to, to gently blow or at least snort and try and get anything out of their nose that, that they can. And they'll usually be told, and the nurses in the hospital will tell them, um, you know, you're not allowed to blow your nose. And I say, oh, no, that's not really right. You know, I don't want you blowing as hard as you possibly can, say with a hanky or a tissue, yeah. but I do want you snorting and blowing your nose and using the the salt water spray as much as possible 
you know, so long as you can feel it's getting something out and it's doing a job, just just keep on doing it because you'll feel so much more comfortable. Uh, it'll open your airway up. And so the two things I think that worry people the most is uh, a bit of blood dripping, say, in the first 24 hours, uh, and then the blocked nose. Uh, and that can be especially in the, in the first week, and especially when they've got a nasal splint on and that's squeezing the nose in a little bit. It's, it's swollen on, on the inside. Uh, you've got the dry blood. So anything you can do to, to wash it out and open the breathing up makes you feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, right. Well, I remember with mine, what actually happened is, uh, yeah, there was definitely no blowing of the nose and whatever. And then I can just remember, I can't remember if it was a week later or whatever, just um, uh, like a, a, I think I, someone, just, I don't know, I don't even know who did it, but we kind of pulled this massive blood clot out of my nose. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, my nose is falling apart. But once that came out, I was like, oh. I can breathe and it was just all like it was like a relief although I, I almost had a heart attack when that blood clot came out because it was huge yeah we, we'll get patients in uh, the day after or two days after uh, and try and give the nose a, a bit of a vacuum uh, and that can make it a whole lot more comfortable right yeah. from the, uh, the very start uh, at one week we're taking the splint off and if they've had any um, uh, stitches in the, in, the, in the skin of what we call the columella, that bit of skin between the nostrils, mm -hmm. um, and then we'll vacuum it again uh, at that point. And, yeah, the cleaning out of the nose, um, it only takes a, a little bit to make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. And so tell me, do, does the rhino, uh, septoplasty, rhinoplasty, it obviously attracts an item number? Do they both or just one? Or There are, there are item numbers for both, but it depends on the indication. So septoplasty, basically, yes, that's always got a, an item number and, and mm -hmm. a, a rebate from the, um, Medicare and from your private insurance if you've mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. um, for a rhinoplasty, if you're doing it, say, like I, I was describing, putting grafts into the side wall um, for the collapsing valve and for improving breathing, that's got an item number. Uh, if you're doing it for trauma and they've got a deviated nose and you're straightening the, the nose back up, that's got an item number. But if you're just doing it to take the hump off or to, um, you know, to refine the tip a little bit, uh, then that doesn't have an item number. Okay. Got it. So it depends on the indication as to whether you get an item number and you can claim anything back from Medicare. Exactly. Oh. And the insurance companies are, are getting more and more strict um, on this. They don't want to be paying for cosmetic rhinoplasties. Yeah. Um, They're getting so, yeah. strict on everything. They're getting strict on everything to the point of ridiculousness sometimes. But anyway. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, that's been fantastic. So um, I reckon you've answered all my questions. There's nothing else that I can think that anybody um, – yeah, I've covered all the questions that we've been getting lately. Great. It's it's often considered the, the pinnacle of, of cosmetic surgery because uh, it's the most uh, unforgiving area, uh, obviously right in the middle of, of your face, yeah. Uh, it's got the combination of uh, bone, cartilage, uh, skin. Um, mm -hmm. People can have extremely high expectations there. So it, it's where you can get the most satisfaction um, uh, as a surgeon for producing a, a really good result. Um, it's also the area which um, probably causes us the most 
um, anguish when somebody comes in and you've done something where you think, actually, you know, that's made a really nice difference. And they say, oh, but you see this tiny little thing, you know, this little area here and, you know, in the light with my bathroom or yeah. the elevator and stuff like this. Like in the elevator when I'm going to work and the light comes at this and I can just see this half a millimeter imperfection and um, yeah. it's the area where people get the um, – absolutely the, the the pickiest yeah because um, we're so critical of ourselves and and for myself like when because like i went into uh, my plastic surgeon who was dr james katsaros in in adelaide 22 years ago and i was i told him exactly what i wanted i was like <laughs> right this is what i want i want the bump gone i want the nostrils narrower i want the little ski jump at the end i want it small <laughs> i want an australian quote nose and he said to me, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to do that for you. You're, you know, I'm going to keep your Roman features. Otherwise, it'll look ridiculous. And But what I'm going to do is I'm going to get rid of the bump and I'm going to narrow it up. And I, and I was really upset. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's not what I want. But anyway, I went and had, a, and had it done. And now, years later, now that I, I, I think, because I've seen noses that just have been overdone, you know, mm -hmm. not generally these days, but, you know, in the old days. And I think, oh, my God, I'm glad that he actually did the right thing by me because okay. it's it's so subtle and I still have the same I actually still have exactly the same nose it's just a little bit more refined and, and I'm so glad he didn't listen to me because God knows what I'd look like if he listened to me <laughs> well and, and and that's the, the the problem sometimes you know they can look okay for a short period of time but over time they don't necessarily age well uh -huh. so it's a very um, insightful um, decision by your, your surgeon 22 years ago. Thank goodness, yeah. <laughs> Don't ever do what I want. Do what's the right thing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Good talking to you Lovely. again, Trish. And um, everyone out there, if you're looking for a consult with Dr. Oates, you can just either come through our website um, and find him online or you can email info at plasticsurgeryhub.com.au or you can actually just go on to his website, which is academyfacebody.com.au, which is a fantastic website, I might point out. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Oates. Thanks, Trish. Bye. The Plastic Surgery Hub podcast, connecting people with practitioners. For more information, visit plasticsurgeryhub.com.au or email info at plasticsurgeryhub.com.au. The material provided in this podcast is general information and does not constitute medical advice, nor is it a substitute for consultation and advice from your own practitioner. It should not be used to diagnose or treat any medical illness. Any medical or surgical decision should be made in consultation with your own doctor or practitioner and not based on the materials provided in this podcast.